Hello, and welcome to episode 49 of the Dayson Digest podcast. My name is Melissa Johnson, and I'm a professor of medicine at Duke University Medical Center and a liaison clinical pharmacist with Dayson. Today, we're going to talk about stewardship practices at U.S. hospitals. So the paper we're going to discuss today is entitled Use of Leading Practices in U.S. Hospital Antimicrobial Stewardship Programs. This paper was published by a collaborative group led by Edward Stenaham and colleagues, including representatives of the Joint Commission, the CDC, the Pew Charitable Trust, as well as our own Libby Dawes-Ashley. It was published in Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology just last week in 2022, and at this point, it is only available online. We will put a link to it on our website along with the show notes. So first, a little background. In 2014, CDC released the core elements of antimicrobial stewardship that would guide stewardship practices at hospitals across the United States. In 2015, the National Action Plan for Combating Antimicrobial Resistant Bacteria, or CARB, set a goal to implement these core elements in all federally funded hospitals. The Joint Commission then established stewardship standards for its accredited hospitals to take effect in January of 2017. And in 2019, the CDC then updated their core elements, and CMS added federal regulations for hospital stewardship programs to the conditions of participation. Data indicate that these requirements have largely been met now by hospitals across the United States, with 91% of acute care hospitals indicating that they met all seven core elements in 2020, compared to only 41% in 2014. But the depth and breadth of stewardship activities at these hospitals varies. So this project was aimed at evaluating the proportion of hospitals with joint commission accreditation that have implemented six leading practices of antimicrobial stewardship. We will give more details as we go on, but this project was aimed at these six leading practices, which included measurement of antibiotic use in the facility, measuring hospital onset C. difficile rates, diagnostic stewardship via optimization of diagnostic tests for C. difficile and UTIs, interactive prospective audit and feedback, whether it be face-to-face, by phone, or both, implementation of facility-specific treatment guidelines, specifically focusing on communicular pneumonia, urinary tract infections, skin and soft tissue infections, and sepsis, which are the most common indications for antibiotics in these facilities, and measuring adherence to these facility-specific treatment guidelines. This was a cross-sectional observational study using a web-based 50-item questionnaire that was developed with input from an expert advisory panel. This questionnaire was piloted in 22 hospitals in the fall of 2019, and then distributed to hospitals starting in 2020. These hospitals were selected on the basis of the fact that they had received accreditation following a full Joint Commission survey visit in 2018. They excluded hospitals that were due for a survey visit in 2019 or 2020 to avoid the perception that this questionnaire was linked to accreditation. The first email to potential hospital participants in the study went out in January of 2020, just before the COVID pandemic started in the United States with a link to the 50-item questionnaire in mid-February of 2020, followed by four follow-up emails through August of 2020. For the purposes of the study, hospitals were categorized into three sizes, small, 
facilities with less than or equal to 100 beds, medium-sized facilities of 100 to 399 beds, and large facilities of 400 beds or more. Location of a hospital is also categorized as urban or rural, and they determine whether or not the hospital was part of a health system or not, and whether or not they were a teaching facility, and they categorize these as major, minor, or non-teaching. They estimated that they needed 274 hospitals to participate to have a 5% precision with their 95% confidence intervals. And they sent the surveys to 948 hospitals in 48 states. They had a 30% completion rate, or 288 hospitals completing the survey in total. In terms of their respondents, 29% were small hospitals, 56% were medium hospitals, and 15% were large hospitals. There are a majority of urban hospitals with 80%, and 80% also belong to a healthcare system. Only 9% of the hospitals were considered to be major teaching hospitals, and 39% were non-teaching. And they had a small number of these critical access hospitals with 25 and 5 children's hospitals. The investigators assessed differences between respondents and non-respondents for the survey. Non-respondents were more frequently in non-teaching, smaller hospitals. They then applied weighting criteria to make generalized estimates of the prevalence of these stewardship practices in hospitals across the whole United States. So what did they find? Overall, the hospitals had implemented a median of four of these leading practices. 44% of the hospitals had implemented three or less of these practices, and only 14% had implemented all six of these stewardship practices. In terms of the prevalence of the individual components of the leading stewardship practices, development of treatment guidelines was most commonly performed. At least one treatment guideline had been implemented in 94% of facilities but only 55% had developed facility-specific treatment guidelines for all of the targeted disease stage, which again were communicable pneumonia, urinary tract infections, skin and soft tissue infections, and sepsis. Other practices that were fairly common included measurement of antibiotic use, which was reported in 80% of facilities, and measuring hospital onset C. difficile rates, which was reported by 88% of facilities. 83% reported doing some kind of interactive prospective audit and feedback, whether it be face-to-face, -face, phone, or both. However, only 72% did this leading practice of having the feedback performed by a member with stewardship expertise. 72% also performed diagnostic stewardship, but only 35% had optimized diagnostic tests for both C. difficile infection and urinary tract infections. And then finally, Measuring adherence to at least one of these four facility-specific treatment guidelines was performed in only 37% of facilities. And there were no differences in hospital characteristics implementing these, so it was actually difficult for everyone. In regards to facility-specific characteristics, the authors found that prospective audit and feedback and measuring antimicrobial use were less likely to be performed at smaller hospitals, rural hospitals, and non-teaching facilities. For diagnostic testing optimization and measuring hospital onset C. difficile rates, these were less likely to be performed at smaller rural hospitals. Implementing facility-specific treatment guidelines were less likely if a facility was not in a health system, 
as health systems often offer some support for that on the technology side as electronic health systems are adopted and shared. Measuring adherence to facility-specific treatment guidelines was really, again, not specific to any hospital characteristics and was low overall in all facilities. For diagnostic stewardship, 66% of facilities did implement a procedure to prevent inappropriate testing for C. difficile infection. This was most commonly a lab-initiated intervention or clinician education, each occurring in about 57% of responding hospitals. The least frequent diagnostic stewardship intervention for C. difficile was requiring pre-authorization by stewardship programs for testing, which occurred in only 7% of hospitals. For urinary tract infection diagnostic stewardship, 39% had implemented some sort of procedure. Most commonly, these were lab reflex testing that was based on certain parameters met on urinalysis and clinician education, which were done in a little bit more than 30% of hospitals. About 12% of facilities had computerized decision support systems or electronic health system alerts built in to guide urine culture practices. Again, at least one facility-specific treatment guideline had been developed in 94% of hospitals. These were most commonly guidelines for community-acquired pneumonia and sepsis, which occurred in more than 80% of facilities, urinary tract infections in 75% of facilities, and skin and soft tissue infections in 69% of facilities. Implementation of prospective audit and feedback varied across hospitals. It was most commonly performed by the antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist in 68% of facilities, with some form of phone interaction in 78%, face-to-face -face in almost 70%, text messaging in 54%, or electronic health record alerts in 36%. Most hospitals stated that the coverage for this prospective audit and feedback included all units across the hospital with 70% of facilities, and most frequently occurred four to five days a week. 20% of facilities covered six to seven days a week with their prospective audit and feedback. Adherence to guidelines was measured less frequently, as we stated previously. This was most frequently done for UTIs and sepsis in about 25% of facilities and community-acquired pneumonia in 24%. 21% assessed adherence for surgical prophylaxis guidelines and 21% for C. difficile infection guidelines. The least frequent guidelines where adherence was measured were meningitis and febrile neutropenia in about 6 to 7% of facilities. This was performed using manual collection in about 21% of facilities and electronic methods in 17% of facilities. Interestingly, the authors report who answered the surveys in this questionnaire, and this might relate to some of the limitations that we'll discuss later. 49% of those that answered the questionnaire were a specialist in stewardship or infectious diseases, but a large proportion, or 43%, were non-specialist pharmacy directors or a clinical pharmacist. And almost 8% were in another role, such as infection prevention or a director of quality. So they might not have been aware of all of the activities that were ongoing in the facility. So in summary, this study evaluated six leading stewardship practices of which two were found to be underutilized in facilities across the United States. 
These include measuring adherence to facility-specific treatment guidelines and optimization of diagnostic testing practices for urinary tract infections in C. difficile. These practices are associated with challenges. First, measuring adherence to facility-specific treatment guidelines might require technical support or IT resources to capture this data. It can also be difficult to ascribe non-adherence to a particular provider as providers often change during the hospital stay. Also, adherence to treatment guidelines may require behavior changes, which can be difficult to accomplish. Optimization of diagnostic testing practices for UTIs and C. difficile also comes with challenges, including the need for multidisciplinary involvement from many areas to accomplish this, as well as challenges inherent in setting up guidelines. For example, there is still a lack of consensus on criteria for reflux urine cultures. It might be a little easier to set up criteria for testing in C. difficile where there is more of an established standard. In terms of hospital characteristics, it seems that smaller hospitals were less likely to implement forward-leading practices. These include prospective audit and feedback and diagnostic stewardship, which may reflect more dedicated personnel and established expertise at larger hospitals. Smaller hospitals have fewer antimicrobial stewardship staff personnel with infectious diseases training. In contrast, belonging to a health system was associated with two leading practices implementation of facility-specific treatment guidelines, and diagnostic stewardship. Belonging to a system may offer support from the technology perspective to integrate these practices into the electronic health record with order sets and clinical decision support systems, as I mentioned previously. There were several limitations to this study. First, only joint commission-accredited hospitals were included. And there are other accrediting bodies and implementation of these practices could be different in facilities that have not sought joint commission accreditation. There also may be response bias in the study, as larger or more academic hospitals may have been more likely to participate, although the authors tried to account for this by doing an adjusted analysis when they estimated overall prevalence of these practices. The response rate in the study may also be impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. It was conducted during the first six to seven months of the COVID pandemic when resources were really limited and constrained in our facilities, and therefore the response rate may have been lower, as we saw in smaller hospitals. They also did not collect information on the staffing composition of the stewardship teams and whether or not having focused experts in pharmacy or infectious diseases changed accomplishment of these leading practices. Respondents might not have known all elements of what was being done in the facility, as I mentioned previously, since some of them might not have been on the stewardship team themselves. And the study did not address the role of stewardship or implementation of these practices in the outpatient setting. So in summary, this was a really interesting progress report in some ways on where we are with stewardship practices in hospitals across the United States. You will note that several of these practices are either in the current Joint Commission requirements for stewardship or are in the proposed standards that take effect in 2023. In terms of measuring adherence to facility-specific treatment guidelines, the Joint Commission notes that this can be done at the group level, such as the departmental, unit, clinician subgroup, or at the individual prescriber level. And this can be done by analyzing electronic health records or by conducting chart reviews for a sample of patients. It is possible that we can leverage some of our data resources in DASON to assist hospitals in meeting this requirement, so maybe it is not as onerous as it might seem. 
In addition, implementation of these diagnostic stewardship interventions is a more advanced stewardship practice, but as we have developed and implemented the more basic stewardship practices in our facilities, we are beginning to take these on in many of our facilities this year. I look forward to seeing all the creative ways in which our facilities will implement all of these leading stewardship practices and invite you to discuss it more with your DESON liaison. We will also have some opportunities to discuss it further at our upcoming DICON DESON Fall Educational Symposium on November 11th. We hope you can join us for that discussion. With that, we will conclude this episode of the DESON Digest. On behalf of the DESON staff, I'd like to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Just as a reminder, links to the paper mentioned today will be posted on our website. We hope you check it out and come back in two weeks for our next Day Song Digest.